I remember we did um, a call back in 2012 with a coach who was working in a different state who was learning that he was feeding his endurance athletes things like butter and bacon, and they were going out on endurance rides, and their metabolic rates were changing, and they were burning more fat. So these riders would not bonk. Their energies would stay really, really high on long rides. And I was like blown away. Like, what are you talking about? Like eating fat and riding further? That's nuts. Like, of course you need all the carbohydrates. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. Now, today I'm joined by my very special guest, Casey Ruff. Now, Casey has been a personal trainer since about 2007. Uh, he successfully ran metabolic testing program for a large gym and oversaw 13 programs in the West region in the US. Uh, he's multiple certifications as a personal trainer, lifestyle coach, performance enhancement specialist. With his nutrition coaching certifications, he specializes in low carbohydrate lifestyles, including ketogenic and carnivore diets. Oh, have I lost you? No, I think you're there. Um, and uh, he follows, uh, well, we'll talk about his diet in a moment. Uh, he's helped thousands of clients over 14 years learn how to achieve their best lifestyle through movement, lifestyle management, and proper diet. And together with his uh, wife, I think it is Bethany, they created the Boundless Body uh, podcast during the 2020 pandemic. And uh, he also hosts another podcast, very busy man. And uh, yeah, well, great to have you on the show today, Casey. Thank you so very much. It's such an honor to be here. Yours is one of my favorite shows, and I think you're doing such great work. So it is such an honor to be here with you. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to have you on the show. We've been trying to get this sorted for a couple of months now, and uh, it's about four, half five in the morning here in Brisbane because uh, we're on Casey Casey's time at the moment. And I apologize if anyone can hear some kids in the background coughing and spluttering. We've had illness through our house, and uh, yeah, I've got some sick kids. So it's going to be a relatively short episode today. Uh, okay, now we're getting a little bit of echo, but that's okay. We can hopefully deal with that in uh, in post-production. Uh, so Casey, thank you for coming on the show. Maybe if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I um, was interested in sports when I was growing up and, um, you know, I was you know, somewhat interested in trying to become fit. I remember being the chubby kid as I was growing up. And so, you know, when I was studying architecture in college, I joined a gym um, and got to watch firsthand personal trainers and how they were interacting with their clients. And this is back in 2006, 2007. It looked really fun and they were using heart rate monitors, which I had been using for a long time with my cycling training. And so I decided to walk into the personal training manager's office to see what I needed to do to become a personal trainer. He told me about an online certification that I could get. And and I went and got it and was hired in March of 2007 by this big corporate gym and eventually got into using a metabolic cart to help validate metabolism and how people burn their calories, which again eventually led me to the path of discovering you know, low-carbohydrate nutrition and how ketogenic and carnivore diets work and how they could we could use metabolic carts to validate how somebody could improve their fat burning and improve their metabolic rates, literally teach them how to burn more calories and most of those calories from fat, which was a total game changer. So that's how I kind of found the low-carbohydrate space uh, back in about 2018, 2019, and really haven't looked back since. We no longer work for that company, and I don't have access to the metabolic carts anymore, but it still gave me the baseline knowledge that I need to help my clients today. Yeah, no, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, uh, did you have your own personal health story at all as well as how you got into this space? Um, that's a good question. If, as far as like a, you know, 
disease? No, I was interested in nutrition because I, I liked sports. And so, you know, playing ice hockey, doing cycling, cycling competitively, you know, nutrition was always kind of there. And we just kind of knew like you had to eat a lot of carbohydrates. You had to fuel your rides. You had to eat the oatmeal and the banana before you leave. You drink all the sugary drinks and gels and all this stuff when you're out on the road. And I didn't know any different. Um, I just knew that when you go out on rides, you pack your jerseys full of a bunch of food and your stomach's going to hurt the whole time. That's just part of what it was. Um, and so I, I wasn't dealing with any type of, you know, chronic disease or health issue per se, but I just wasn't feeling optimal. And, you know, we didn't know any better as personal trainers that, you know, if you went two or three clients, you needed a granola bar in between, or you had to do all your meal preps and you had to eat six or seven meals a week. And, you know, it, we just did what we were supposed to do. And as a personal trainer, I can say that I really spent most of my career thinking that all of the people that I was working with were really terrible at following my advice. And I just thought people had like really poor willpower. And, you know, if, if they, we told them to eat more vegetables and eat the rainbow and eat until they were eight percent full with lots of whole grains. And, you know, even if they could execute it, which I don't think many people could even do it, especially long-term, some people might be able to white knuckle it short-term, but like, it wouldn't give the results that we said it would give to people. And so it was just, you know, low level frustrating that basically that advice worked for none of the people that we worked with. And so you know, when you find a different way and, you know, this way that nobody else is talking about, that's exactly the opposite to every certification I've ever gotten. And now all of a sudden it's working for nearly everybody. Like that just made me really like excited to, you know, pursue my career in that direction and really try to help people that way. Mm, what what way are you are you referring to there? Uh, which part? Uh, you said this this new way that you found. Oh, oh yeah 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 yeah. So um, really the low carbohydrate type lifestyle. Like I remember I remember we did um, a call back in 2012 with a coach who was working in a different state who was learning that he was feeding his endurance athletes things like butter and bacon and they were going out on endurance rides and their metabolic rates were changing and they were burning more fat. So these riders would not bonk. Their energies would stay really, really high on long rides. And I was like blown away. Like, what are you talking about? Like eating fat and riding further? That's nuts. Like, of course you need all the carbohydrates. Eventually I was introduced to the work of Nina Teicholz and found the book, The Big Fat Surprise, which frankly, I think I resisted because if, if what she was saying was right, then everything I was taught was probably wrong. Um, so I, I didn't, immediately pursue that. So, so since, you know, 2014, I really had the idea that fat is okay. You can eat fat. Um, you know, the good fats like avocado and, um, you could use olive oil. that was kind of back in vogue. And that was, that was great. But then seeing it actually validated on my metabolic carts with my athletes and myself personally, that, yeah, you can go on a three, four, five hour ride completely fasted and feel great. Um, one, one interesting thing in 2017 is when I first became formally trained as a nutrition coach. And that really set me back a little bit because the company I got my certification with was all about balance and is all about behavior control. And while I think their education platform was good and it was good to work on education, uh, you know, and behavior control, it was, it was more like people would sign up for weekly or every other week sessions, they would come in, tell me how they had failed. And I would just reiterate to them, well, did you hit your macros? Did you write in your emotion journal about your food? Did you eat until you were 80% full? And what new vegetables did you try? And so it was just, you're always just blaming these people and thinking they're not very good at following the advice and they're not getting good results. Um, 
you know, another thing that we were doing at the gym was a weight loss contest that followed the same kind of thing. Like people would sign up for a two month period. They'd be given a packet of lots of ingredients and recipes and all this stuff to do. And the compliance percentage of people that would start the contest and in 60 days stop the contest, only only 15 percent of people ever even like stepped on a scale to get out of the contest. Just such low compliance. And again, we had to roll this over every three months. We were doing another two month contest. And so it was very frustrating. My wife was working at the same company and it was frustrating because you'd have to find new people you wouldn't be able to get the same people who already failed and we had one guy in particular who signed up with us i heard his diet he was the type of guy that needed to lose 30 pounds but was waking up in the middle of the night to eat cereal and you know skim milk and was just on a lot of carbohydrates and was just not having any fat and i remember telling him like dude at least try to get some fat in your meals if nothing else he came back a few days later having lost a few pounds and he asked me like dude like I, I'm, I lost a few pounds already. What is this keto stuff? And I was like, well, that's great, but I don't really exactly know. I know it's on the cover of a magazine at the grocery store, but that's about all I know about it. And so that started my kind of obsession into the low carbohydrate space. We started running our groups a little bit differently where we were giving them different meal plans that were low carbohydrate, telling them they could pick whatever recipes they liked. They didn't need to count anything. They could just prepare whatever foods were good for them, for their families. And we had tremendous results tracking their weight and body fat percentage um, up until the pandemic when we ended up losing our jobs. Mm. So. Oh, that's must must have been pretty difficult then at that point. And that's when you started the Boundless Body Radio? Yeah. So we started Boundless Body, the company, um, during the pandemic really early on when we realized that not only um not only was the landscape changing, um, but we we just kind of lost clients. Like the clients that we had were not necessarily going to go back to the gym. They started to enjoy working out from home, and so we we realized we needed to work with people in a different way. Um, we neither one of us would consider ourselves like entrepreneurs, which we we do now. We run our own business, but yeah, we decided the best way forward would be to start our own company and continue working with a lot of the same people that we were working with. Um, the the first memory I have of the first two weeks of the pandemic, the first two weeks of the pandemic were completely black for me. I, I have no memory of them. Um, but the first memory I have was pulling out of the funk by getting the, um, at the time it was called the Meet RX certification. It's now known as Ribeiro. And getting that certification allowed me to meet people from all over the world and help them with their own carnivore diets. I'd been carnivore for a year at that point. So um, that was really fun. And that yeah, that's kind of how our company was born. And then we started our podcast a few months later. Um, and it's been a really fun journey. Yeah, no, I mean, pandemic was obviously very hard for a lot of people, but hit hit you obviously particularly hard. But out of out of adversity, of course, comes comes triumph, which is which is great. Um, so you mentioned that you are now carnivore. Uh, you've been carnivore for about a year. I've been How... carnivore for f- four years. Sorry. Oh, sorry, it was a year at that point. Okay. So yes. Well, four years. Um, what are you eating on a carnivore diet? Because I mean, carnivore can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. What is it that you are actually eating on your diet? Yeah, great question. Isn't it fun to look back at our evolution and like how we started it and how we change and shift things up? Um, my first year of carnivore, I was eating exclusively like rib, um, ribeye steaks. Um, I found an inexpensive source and they were bone in and I would eat that one meal a day. Um, I got to the point where I really, really overdid it. I wasn't listening to my body and I don't still to this day have much of a taste for steak all the time. My diet today is very simple. I keep the same three or four foods in at the moment. Like I'm loving doing steak and eggs. I'll do that with, um, like more of a sirloin, um, 
I, I eat eggs as my first meal of the day, somewhere around like 10 or two when I, when I get a break from my clients and I can just have some hard boiled eggs. Um, in the summertime, I'll trade, I'll crave more chicken, which I think is interesting. I don't normally think chicken is the best option on a carnivore diet, but it, you have to really pay attention to what your body is telling you because your body knows. And, you know, if you were to tell me to go on an intuitive eating type diet, I would intuitively eat all of the cookies and bread and ice cream that I could find intuitively. Right. And it's like, you realize once you reset yourself on carnivore, you really can be intuitive and you really need to pay attention to even things like how does something look? How does something smell? How does something sound to you? Does it sound really tasty or not? Like sometimes like once every six months, salmon sounds amazing. The next day, I can't even look at it. I don't even want to see it. So right now it's just those simple things. If I add in some ribs or some broths or something like that, it would be fine. But if I, if I drift too far away from red meat and eggs in particular, I just, I don't feel as good. I feel a little flat. Yeah, I mean, we we spoke about this. Uh, we've obviously just done a back to back interview for your podcast as well, which may or may not be out before this episode. We don't know timing wise, uh, but of course, I spoke about you know very same thing: listening to your body, being intuitively, uh, you know, intuitively eating, listening to your senses, you know, your sight, your sound, you know, your smell, everything, you know, what just looks good. What does my my body want? You mentioned on your show that uh, you and I are basically both recovered or recovering maybe sugar addicts. How did you find switching to carnivore being essentially a sugar addict? Yeah, that's a great question. What a sad realization <laughs> that was. I, I have always promoted moderation. I have always preached balance and you can moderate, you can have a little as long as you don't have a lot. Um, for me, when I first started carnivore, I was fairly strict. I allowed a few things in that were not animal foods, but for the most part, they were pretty safe. And I, I, I didn't notice that I had a big problem. It was really when I really started to be more strict that I started to notice that the sugar would have a bigger effect. And so my last foray into sugar was the summer of 2021 here in the Salt Lake Valley on the 24th of July is when the Mormon pioneers arrived here. And so there's a big celebration. It's almost bigger than the 4th of July and it's called pioneer day. And so all the Mormons celebrate Pioneer Day, the rest of everybody else, just to kind of do their own thing and kind of poke fun at Pioneer Day, they have Pie and Beer Day. And so <laughs> it would be, you know, yeah, it's pretty good. I like it. All the, all the bars have pie and beer celebrations and everything. So that day I bought a pie and, you know, I started eating it and it was well past the point of where I wanted to stop eating it that I could not stop eating it. And I kept eating and kept eating and kept eating. And, and my anxiety for a good 24, 36 hours was just so high. I, I couldn't sleep well. My brain just spinning and all of these things that were never going to happen. Like business is going to fail. I know my wife is going to leave me. Like the house is going to burn down. Like all this crazy anxiety kept coming back. And I just decided that day, like I... I can't mess around with this stuff. I, I love it too much and I go way too far. Um, it's even to the point that like for fruit for me, I, I'm not willing to say at this point that like fruit is bad for you or you shouldn't eat fruit. The problem with me and fruit is if I have too much fruit, it's what comes after that where I get into trouble. So for me, it's just easier to be strict. It's easier to me to fill myself up with steak and eggs until I can't look at it again. And that that works for me. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I'm in uh, 
Jeez, my daughter was making a bit of noise there. She wanted to come say hello. Um, <laughs> so cute. And uh, that's my that's my third my third child. Um, yeah, it's a really important point. I, I think you're right there. It's not necessarily what does that one individual meal represent. It's okay. What's the follow on? from that and i've certainly found that when i started so i first started firing into into do i eat some fruit next people were telling me like oh you know i i eat fruit i felt a bit better you know my thyroid was tanking on carnivore i mean all this kind of stuff we don't really see that but you know everyone's telling you oh you should go and eat some fruit okay well fine maybe i'll eat a little bit of fruit see what happens and i found myself had a bit of fruit and then the next day i had a bit more fruit and then a bit more fruit. By the end of the week, I was not just even having like half a bowl of fruit. I was having two full bowls of fruit. Mm. That's my like fruit serving. And I was just like, whoa, like this, this is, this is the sugar addict, Yeah, you know, but I'd convinced myself it was okay because it was healthy, but yeah, it was the, the sugar addiction. So we have to, we do have to be mindful, you know, of that. And for some people, and I don't, I don't think it's, it's not, it's not a willpower thing. You know, I used to think it was a willpower thing, but I say to my patients now, you know, it's, it's very hard to moderate unmoderatable foods. It's very hard to, you know, moderate hyper addictive, hyper palatable foods. These foods are literally designed to make you addicted. That is the whole premise of these foods. They employ hundreds of people, these chemical engineers, to make these foods as addictive as possible. Um, you touched on something there around, um, sorry, the Paw Patrol finished on the TV. Uh, you touched upon there something around the diet and you got very anxious when you strayed from the carnivore yeah. diet. Is that something you can expand on at all? Because I, I do see this with patients and myself, that carnivore really makes them less stressed man yeah and i can say like like when i first started in april of 2019 going on a carnivore diet i i have to, i felt better i wanted to do it for 30 days i wanted to see if i would ever be able to poop again or if i was just going to die of a heart attack or what was going to happen and so i tried it for 30 days and the thing that surprised me the most is in it, was, it took about 10 days uh, two weeks but there's just this day where everything was fine and like i wouldn't say i've had depression, anxiety, any that kind of thing. I would have never been diagnosed with a mental disorder or anything, but I realized at that time, like I would, I would spin again, just in anxiety, thinking about all these things that were never going to happen. And that just kind of went away like magically. And somebody, I, 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 we had a situation where somebody bought a bunch of personal training sessions from me. We scheduled them all out, took a lot of time, then refund. She wanted a refund for all of it. And normally that would have ruined my week, let alone my day. And I just remember thinking like, okay, well, God bless. Let's give you your money back. Let me take you out of my calendar. I lost a lot of money from that, but it just wasn't that big of a deal. Like the things that would set me off or, you know, make me angry, upset was just like, I don't know. They just kind of went away. And then on the other side, the things that made, made you feel like joyous or like happy spontaneously for no reason. It's like, there's birds flying around and there's plants that are growing and like the lake by my house to go on a walk. Like, it's so amazing. And I've used this example before. There's been two separate times in my life that I've done a meditation practice and tried to work on meditation. And one was when I was eating a lot of carbohydrates and the other one was later in life when I wasn't. Maybe I was a little bit more mature. Um, it was during the COVID pandemic. So we had a lot of stress going on and we were unemployed, but it was easier the second time. And I really do wonder if it is the um the carnivore diet that made it easier and and like you with all the people i work with around the world they universally say pretty much the same thing that on carnivore 
your mind just settles. Like everything is just a lot calmer and cooler. And, you know, I was trying to explain to a consultation yesterday, like, it's not that you're at a peak of energy. It's not like you just had a ton of coffee and you're like, yeah, ready to go. But, but you, it's like a carnivore mentality. You're just, you're good. You're set. You're ready to focus. You can do work. You can, you know, I love the way you talked about masculinity in the episode that you and I did. You you can serve, you can give of yourself in a, in a different way. Your energy is just stable and there. And, you know, if you need to have a tough conversation, you can, and you can do it very calmly and easily. But other than that, everything just feels really a lot more chill. Yeah. I mean, I said, I mean, listeners on the podcast, they can't hear me just nodding along to everything you've just said. Um, but I mean, I, I found exactly the same. My patients found exactly the same. Um, the stressors, they're still there, but they just affect me so much less than they did previously. Um, and that's just, it, it's, it feels amazing. It's like, you've just got this like shield around you that, that stresses just don't seem to affect you anymore. And you're like, okay, well that sucks, but you know, that's life, uh, yeah. move on, you know, like, like you did with, with your client. Yes. It sucks that you lost that money. And, and that's, that's a, a shame, but it, you're just like, okay, well, there's more important things in life. Let's move yeah. on. Let's, let's yeah. deal with it. Let's be productive in some other way. And that's what I find. That's what I find myself. That's what my patients find. The stresses just seem to affect them so much less, which is really fascinating. Yeah. And very often when you, well, like you said, when they go back to their old diets, they, they just feel all that stress coming back. Yep. That's right. And it makes me wonder, I, I have observed that there's lots of carnivores out there that are really getting into um, the, the re-energization of the stoicism movement. And I wonder if there's a reason for that. Like if, if the stoicism matches so well with carnivore, where you're not really willing to give up your values and your character um, and you have preferred indifferences. I would like it if my house didn't burn down. I would like it if the business didn't fail. But you realize that those are outside of my control and I can control my character and my values and those types of things. And I think those two things pair really well, frankly. I think they absolutely do. I mean, I do a lot of work with mental health with my clients, with my patients as well. And a part of that, I actually do talk about carnivore diet. Um, guidelines here in Australia now, we are recommended to start to talk to patients about diet, not specifically carnivore, of course, but just diet in general. Um, but yeah, like it really does make a difference uh, to their just acceptance of life and part of the ACT acceptance and commitment therapy. You know, what, what can you change? What can't you change? And how do you, how do you deal with that? Um, it really makes a big difference. I mean, I had one patient, she came to see me for an introductory session and, you know, two sessions later, she, she didn't come back for like three months, four months. And I, and then she came back and I was like, oh, like, okay, like what's going on? And she just, uh, you know, yeah, I'm good. Like I'm just here for my prescription um, for metformin. She had history of PCOS. And uh, I said, okay, yeah, great. Like, fine. You know, how's, how's your mental health? Like, I haven't seen you. What, what's going on? And she was like, yeah, no, you, fi you fixed me. <laughs> like, that's why I haven't been back. It's like, oh, okay. Like, like what was the fix? And she's like, oh, just my diet. Like I went carnivore and just didn't need to come back. Amazing. <laughs> like it's just like, okay, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Like, and actually, do you even need this medication? No, you actually don't. So fine. You know. Yeah. And she left with nothing, but she was very happy. Yeah. You know? And uh yeah, it's incredible the difference the difference it makes. Um, so you're eating mainly mainly steak and eggs now on your carnivore diet. Um, does your wife uh Belinda eat the same thing as well? 
Yeah, Bethany. Yeah, she does. Uh, Bethany, um, sorry, I apologize. Bethany. Yeah, she does. So um, she is in the process of reintroducing some carbohydrates. So she's finding, trying to find like which carbohydrates she does well with. And I do believe that there are some plant foods that are pretty benign. So her primary carbohydrate she'll consume at night. Um, and it will be rice, maybe, you know, half a cup or a cup of rice. So it's certainly not much. A, a great bulk of her diet is still coming from um, animal products and animal foods. In fact, every single week I have to go to Costco. I, I kid you not, every single week I have to buy an entire brisket. These things are about 15 to 20 pounds. I smoke it for over the weekend and that is her food. Like I will have a bite of it. I'll taste it, but that's her food for the entire week. In a week, she will be out of brisket and I'll have to smoke another one. So <laughs> very, very carnivorous. Um, and it's seen really good results. I told you on our show that she recently did a blood draw and showed that her LDL cholesterol is over 200. Um, you know, so it just makes me so grateful for the research that's being done in our community by people like Dave Feldman, who's, you know, really asking some of those deeper questions of like, is LDL causative of heart disease? If it is, I damn well better be pretty concerned that my favorite person in the world has an LDL cholesterol that most people would say her heart is going to blow up. So really now it's like our money has to go where our mouth is and we have to make, you know, decisions based on what we think. And as of now, we think it's totally fine and protective and her HDL is very high and her triglycerides are very low and she's very healthy. So we both have benefited from a very carnivorous way of life for sure. Yeah. I mean, cholesterol is really, really interesting. Of course, I talk about it on my show a fair bit. Um, LDL cholesterol, I mean, it all comes back to the diet heart hypothesis and Ansel Keys back in the 60s. You know, we know that he was in his researchers were essentially paid to say that cholesterol was the cause of heart disease from the Sugar Research Foundation. We know that there is evidence to support that. That is not just theory. That's that's fact. We know that he was paid to do that. Um, we know that he was really just it was very uh argued at the time this wasn't just a slam dunk oh it's cholesterol that's it you know um we know that again was the case we know things like the ARIC study ldl cholesterol is way down on the list of risk factors you look at you know diabetes hypertension you know stress smoking all of these are way higher yet cholesterol is the one thing that we focus on and it makes absolutely no sense. I've almost never seen a cardiologist mention in any clinic letters about stress or diet or exercise or even smoking. All they talk about is LDL cholesterol. Yeah. You know, I had, I had one recently. I've basically blacklisted uh, the cardiologist now. Um, you know, just write back and say, uh, it doesn't matter what they're, what they're doing. All they need to do is take the statin. Oh my goodness. Like that's what matters. Doesn't even matter. It's, it basically said doesn't even matter what their cholesterol is. All they have to do is take the statin. It's just I, I, like, are you literally being paid by, you know, maybe. drug company? Like, yeah, it's just maybe. it's it's crazy to me. It really is. But there's a lot of evidence, you know, now to support that actually LDL cholesterol is not the risk factor that we thought it was. Um, there is some evidence that LDL can be protective. We know it's protective for certain cancers. We know it's protective for certain, for things like dementia, for example. Uh, we know that low LDL cholesterol is, causes problems. We know it does. So again, I think often it's about, it's about balance. Of course, your show is all about balance, of course. Um, it, it's things like the HDL, the triglyceride that points us towards a pattern A, a pattern B. You know, your wife's going to have a pattern A cholesterol, right. most likely. She's not going to have a high burden of damaged LDL cholesterol, most likely. Yes. So while she, she could go and do some further testing, of course, if she wanted, it's probably not really needed. And 
probably nothing too much to worry about. But we spoke yeah. about this a bit on your show, you know, not seeing the wood for the trees. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and I, you know, I understand why doctors would do that. And they're they're used to giving out medications, and that is our medication that lowers LDL cholesterol. It does lower, but that doesn't mean there's not side effects. And you mentioned the pattern A, pattern B. I love the analogy from Ben Bickman's book, Why We Get Sick, where it's like pattern A is like having, you know, a river and you've got big, bouncy, um, kind of inflatable um, balls that you play with at the beach and having pattern B is almost like a golf ball. Like which one do you think is going to cause more harm? Like these light buoyant types of boats that carry around cholesterol to where they need to go. They're really big and buoyant and they can do their jobs and get out of circulation. And it doesn't really seem to like cause harm. Like why would our bodies make the substance? Like you can, you make so much more than you could ever eat anyway. Why would it make it if it was just going to turn around and kill you? Exactly. And this is the thing that makes no sense about cholesterol. Why would the human body evolve to make something that is killing us? Yeah. It, it, that's not how evolution works. That's literally the opposite of how evolution works. You know, you, you lose disadvantages, you gain advantages. If there was something, I, look, to be fair, you could argue that, well, we survived long enough to reproduce. You don't see the, you know, evolution, but I think it would be unlikely. It makes no sense that our brain is 60% cholesterol yet cholesterol is bad right like it makes no sense right right yeah that's, it's that's a very simplistic way of thinking about how cholesterol works and how it traffics in the body and how it you know it's it's an analogy i really love is like it's blaming the firefighters for the fires you know it's there to do a repair job it's there to fix things and we're blaming it for heart disease and it's a shame it's too bad exactly that's a really good analogy and that's a really good point i mean cholesterol it has a point in the body and I, this is what so many doctors nowadays just don't seem to understand or forget you know particularly the cardiologists i don't know why they you know forget cholesterol has a point in the body it's you know i saw something uh sean baker put it on twitter the other day you know some some doctors saying oh we just we all need the ldl cholesterol of a baby you know to survive uh and it's like no that's that's a baby that's a neonate we're like full grown adults, like things change over time. <laughs> you know, like they, they're forgetting that cholesterol actually serves this purpose yeah. within the body. And it, it just, I don't know, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. Um, you mentioned that, I want to go back a little bit. Your wife, uh, Bethany, sorry, um, is, uh, is eating some carbohydrates now. Did she, now she's not on this show to speak for herself, but did she feel like she, she kind of had to go back to carbs? What was driving her back towards that? Yeah. Um, yeah, we were, we were kind of wondering if it would be beneficial to kind of cycle them back in. She's actually working with another coach on this. And so she's getting some outside help, which has been super, super helpful, really grateful for, um, the guidance that she's been getting. And yeah, she, um, you know, wanted to see like if adding carbohydrates back in would help her sleep a little bit better, help her kind of reduce her stress. And so it seems like adding some carbohydrates in later at night is really helping with her, her sleep in particular. Um, and she feels better. So it's been an interesting journey and she's just started. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But I, I have noticed, um, and maybe you've noticed the same thing with women, they do tend to kind of do well with cycling of some kind. Um, I noticed they have different cravings, at different times of the month. And while they're menstruating, it might be beneficial to add some carbohydrates in a certain time of the month. It's not permission to eat all the sugar and all the candy and everything else. But if you're, you know, wise about it, and you're, you're doing what you and I have talked about, which is like, listen to your body, see what your body's asking for at a certain time. I think it'll, um, it'll also tell it 
you know, then if you're trying to mix in more plants and more carbohydrates, how to be able to do that best. Um, I noticed some people do okay with some, a small amount of potatoes or, you know, some fruit, like you mentioned. So I think there's lots of options there and she's played with some things. Um, she found out that berries were absolutely not good where she was living on berries at one point several years ago before she was carnivore. Um, overnight oats made her extremely sick. Um, uh, but if she does some rice with just a minimal amount of salt, that seems to do really well for her. Yeah, I think that's a really important point is listening to your body and actually working out what works for you. Uh, if berries don't work, then yeah, they try something else. It's interesting. I mean, oats, we're told oats are so healthy for us. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And she made the most like bland version of overnight oats. It was like oats and water with some collagen powder or something. And she said it tasted really good, but she got very, very sick. It did not sit well with her. Yeah, no, interesting. I wonder if it's just the lectins or the oxalates in there. I don't, I don't know. But then rice is quite high in lectins as well. So yeah. I don't know, but it's interesting though. I mean, you, you said you've observed with your clients as well that that with women, with females, they just seem to maybe need that little bit more carbs. Um, I think I see that with my patients as well, particularly women. Men seem to be able to just eat fatty meat and just absolutely thrive. Yeah. Uh, whereas women do seem to be compelled towards carbohydrates in some way often yeah. feel better when they eat a tiny bit of carbs yeah. so that is something i am exploring with my patients you know as yeah. well well you mentioned something interesting there that the, the the fatty meat and maybe that's a big part of it because you know i'm making a brisket for her every single week and you know a lot of fat renders out of it and so it's maybe not as fatty as we think and i found out later that she was actually was taking off some of the fat that came on the meat and so I, I don't necessarily think all women have to cycle carbs. I think they can be just fine with, you know, a, a stricter carnivore diet. We know many women do it and are thriving on it. But I do think the X factor then has to be, it, it does need to be a decent amount of fat. And that might be a little higher than what most people, most most women in particular can do, want to do without having aversion. So maybe that's part of it. Um, and it is interesting how you get resensitized to certain things that you could eat before and after carnivore, you're just so much more sensitive to it. Recently, I saw a meme um, that was making fun of carnivores. And on the top part, it was like, yeah, I'm carnivore. And then on the bottom part, it was like, oh, I eat blueberries, my back. Like, <laughs> it was it was funny. It's making fun of carnivores, which I thought was great. But to a certain extent, like, that's kind of true. Like, I had mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving this last year. Dude, my tooth hurt for like a day and a half. Like, that was weird. Like, where did that come from? So, you know, again, maybe there is some some truth to us uh, being more sensitive. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, it, it is a, a criticism of carnivore that, uh, you know, some people say, well, I want to eat these things i don't want to become sensitive to them i'm not sure whether it's become become more sensitive to those things or we become just much more aware of mm. what they do to us and and look to be fair without a real randomized control trial and so on it's really hard to know but yeah i'm i'm not sure exactly where we lie on that one but certainly some people do find that they get a little bit more sensitive to things uh more aware of what they they do to their body um yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Does your wife fast as well? Because we do see differences between fasting typically with women and men as well. Yeah, so fasting is interesting um, in the semantics of the thing. So so I like to kind of define like what, what do you call a fast? Really fasting is just making sure that you're you're not eating between meals. Everybody fasts. Um, it's just kind of like, do you mean like a three-day fast, a seven-day fast? Is anything within 24 hours? I think most people within 24 hours um, – 
doing a fast can be fine. I do think it can be pushed too far. And if we're ignoring our hunger sig hunger signals and, you know, we're getting hungry earlier in the day, maybe somebody that's done OMAD that have done it too many times, I do think they can over time start to decline their metabolism. That's kind of what I started noticing for me. Like I recognized the patterns of what would happen for people when their metabolism would be coming down. When I was using metabolic carts, we would validate it. But I'd also know all the signs and symptoms that came along with it. You feel cold, especially in your extremities, your, your energy drops off, your sleep might not be as good. And, you know, I certainly noticed those things in myself and had to mix in a second meal. I think I was over fasting. And so maybe that was part of it as well. Um, you know, we, we both work, you know, busy days, mostly in the mornings and afternoons. And so we try to get our first meal sometime in like the late afternoon. And um, that's, that's sometimes my first meal and sometimes it's her first meal as well. And so, yeah, I, I do think you can push the fasting too far. Although if you have a decent amount of body fat, that you want gone, I think fasting is, is a real gold standard strategy that will work and pairs really well with a carnivore diet. Mm, no, I think it, I think it really does. I think it comes down to intuitive eating again. And I know you mentioned that, of course, um, it's, Eat, eat when you're hungry, you know, don't eat when you're not. And yeah. I don't think fasting is something that you have to force. Agreed. Yeah, I think some people just force it and then they, they end up again, like anything, going off the diet because they, they were, they're hungry yeah. and they want to eat, but they're being told, oh, you have to fast. Yeah, no. And everybody has a target in mind and they have the number of days in mind and they've got this plan that somebody else put out on Instagram. And it's like, that is maybe what's working for that person. But if you, if you pay attention, if you're intuitive, if you are, I really believe in like feasting, you're really getting plenty of calories, you're getting satiated. And then you just stop eating when you're really satiated and you don't eat again until you're hungry. Like you said, like, that's a really great way to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a patient come to me recently, you know, say, oh, I, I can't do fasting. I can't do it. You know, I can only get to like 15 hours and 30 minutes. I can't, I can't do sick. I can't do it. And I'm like, that half an hour makes no difference. Right. Like you're trying to do a 16, eight, just call it a 15 and a half, eight and a half. Like, there you, you know, go. it's, it's fine. It's, it's really not a big deal. So my daughter's handing me an orange to peel her for breakfast. Oh, um, hi. <laughs> so Are you going to share your orange? Yeah, she's she's two and a half, and she literally just like goes into the fridge and gets gets something out of the fridge and places it. It's yeah, interesting. Awesome. She is she is our little carnivore baby, Freya. Just say hi. Hi. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, she is our little carnivore baby. She really from like day one just ate just meat. Wow. Like that's pretty much all she ate. Like now she's a bit more into carbs, but with fruit. But yeah, she pretty much just ate just meat right from the start. And she is like, she's heavier than our five-year-old, Wow! but she's That's not amazing. got an ounce. She's not got an ounce of fat on her Gosh. and strong. she, she is so strong. She is so athletic. She is unbelievably clever. Like what two-year-old can go into the fridge, open, open the fridge, get the stool, open the fridge, open the door, get an orange out, close the drawer, close the door. And then like, bring it over. Don't eat the peel. Okay. She's eating the peel, but still, there you go. Um, <laughs> she's still a kid, you know, like, and her teeth, her teeth are just perfect. You want to show your teeth? Show your teeth. <laughs> she's not showing her teeth. Her teeth are just perfect, like perfect dentition. And you know, is it a coincidence that she ate the most meat? Yeah. Like maybe, That's maybe not. That's amazing. I've been obsessed lately with asking parents on my show, like how they handle a more carnivorous diet with their kids. And 
it seems to be that most people say you don't need to be super strict. They can eat fruit and all kinds of other little things and it's fine. But like, if you allow your kids to kind of self-select, they tend towards meat. And I'm telling you, I don't think the kids hate it. I think kids are very smart, especially as they're aging through, you know, their different grades and getting up into high school. Like, I think they like to perform really well and they like to, you know, have their coaches tell them they're doing well and they like to do well in school. And like, they notice and they, over time, choose that themselves because that's what they prefer. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's yeah, so I cool think, though. I think, I think that is quite true. Um, they do tend to self-select the meat. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you go back to, I talk about, um, you know, with like kids, kids nutrition with patients as well. And I say to the, you know, the parents like, you know, why is it that like a new, uh, not a newborn, but you know, like a, a young child, you give them a piece of of broccoli, you give them some peas, something, and they're like, no, get it away from me. Like they violently refuse it. They literally pick it up and throw it across the room. They vomit, they scream, they fight. And it's just like, oh, you're, my kid's just naughty. You're just being naughty. And it's like, they're six months old. They don't know what naughty is. They just instinctively don't want to eat that. Right. You give them some fruit, which of course is less toxic. Now you could argue maybe it's more sugary, but it's less toxic. They'll eat it on the whole. Yep. Uh, you give them meat. Oh, like they will literally just chew on a bone for yep. hours. Yep. For hours. Yep. Like they'll just take it. You know, it's like what, and they're not being naughty with the meat, but why are they being naughty with the vegetables? It's, it's, it's really interesting, you know? And then that kind of, opens a, a door then in their mind oh yeah interesting hadn't thought about that yeah maybe there's something there's something here yep. um speaking of um you know going back to just you know diet a little bit and your clients what do you kind of advise your clients to do if they're trying to lose weight because weight loss is um a really big thing a lot of people are trying to do yeah now i i try and focus on health and weight comes with that. But what are you yeah. kind of doing with your patients? If you know, someone's listening out there that wants to try and lose weight, what would be your kind of go-to you know, kind of plan for them? Yeah, that's a great question. We try to work with our clients wherever they can meet us. So for example, I started with somebody six months ago and you know, I tell them what I do and I'm a personal trainer. We'll do some exercise. I'm also a nutrition coach. I specialize in low carbohydrate, ketogenic and carnivore diets. And he said, I'm a vegetarian. I'm good. I, I don't want any advice. And I literally have not talked to him about anything as far as nutrition goes. And we've been working out together, doing hard workouts for six months. And he has just steadily gained and gained and gained. He is younger than me. He's already on a statin. He's already on blood pressure meds. And he's not open to hearing any alternative information. So, you know, my best strategy is just to keep our rapport and just know that if there's a day that he wants more information, hopefully we're in a good place and I can be able to coach him. Um, you know, as you know, we're not, we're not on the street corner yelling at vegans, telling them they're stupid. I don't spend time on Twitter picking fights with people that want to eat differently than us. Um, but if somebody wants weight loss on really any kind of diet, the things I'm going to be, um, 
really prioritizing, the first thing would be uh, maximizing protein, at least make protein a focus. Um, I think it's really hard to overconsume protein. And most people are so far below what they need for protein that that becomes a non-issue. So whatever protein they're willing to eat in the beginning, let's start with that. We can dial in things over time. Um, generally speaking, the lower carbohydrate somebody can tolerate, the better. I think that works really well for weight loss. As far as the exercise go, I don't really see exercise um, as a weight loss um, tool necessarily as much as I used to. When we were using those metabolic carts, we would validate how people were burning their calories in different heart rate zones. As they were elevating their heart rate and we would do a VO2 test, we would see how they would burn fat. And most people were surprised to learn that their maximum fat burn usually fell at a heart rate that was much lower where they were spending a lot of time. And it was normally on a um, on a scale of one to 10, we call this RPE or rate of perceived exertion. How hard do you think you're working? Most people burn a maximum amount of fat when they're about a five out of 10. So what does that look like for most people? Like that could be a brisk walk. That could be um, a slow walk. That could be an easy bike ride. That could be paddleboarding or an, an activity that somebody enjoys where, yeah, you're active and you're moving and that kind of thing. And but it's just not at a high level. You can do it nasal breathing. That is really where you're maximizing a fat burn for most people. And so that's what most people want. They want to lose weight, but really what they want is they want to lose fat and they want to save their muscle mass. So really don't want people doing like chronic cardio the way that we have been teaching people cardio for way too long. Um, the last thing I'll really recommend for people that I think is very, very beneficial is strength training. So, you know, get yourself an inexpensive set of bands you can get on Amazon. The last one I purchased was four different bands. They were 30 bucks and you can really crush yourself very easily and effectively and tell your body that your level of strength needs to improve. So it can start working to build muscle, build lean mass, your connective tissue gets stronger, your bones get better. Like injury prevention is such a huge priority for me and it can help with that. And just overall, like really make people feel very good and very energetic, especially as they're aging. It's something that anybody could do really at any age. And those are my favorite tips and tricks for weight loss. Yeah. I mean, where, where do you stand on, um, you know, things like, uh, these like X3 bar and, you know, these really quite expensive products for, for weight training. Do you think that there's, there's any value in people spending that or do they just literally just go to, you know, target Kmart, whatever, like to really just get some cheap bands and just start using them? Either way, whatever your budget allows for, I think is totally fine. I'll give you an example. We interviewed on our show um, a woman named Julie Sipes. Um, she is in her early 40s. She entered assisted living care at age 32, I believe, at 650 pounds. So already needed like special equipment to like move her around. Eventually she made it to a different assisted living home and the guy who owns the system, it, he found a carnivore diet and he's now implementing the carnivore diet in assisted living homes, which you, you have to follow this dude. It is absolutely incredible. So this woman entered his facility, started eating carnivore, fasting became a lot easier. She did invest in an X3 bar and she does virtual sessions with her trainer over Zoom and uses the X3 bar. And she, she the last time I talked to her was March. She entered the care facility in October of 2022 as of March of 2023, she had lost 180 pounds, which is essentially one pound a day. She's melting away. And she's like, 
planning her life. And like, I'm going to go back out there and I'm going to go swim again. And her and her emotional support bear are so happy and they feel great. And she's, she has a new life ahead of her. She used that tool in particular to help get her there. Is that the only tool she could have used? Absolutely not. We learned during the pandemic that you do not need a full gym, like literally a $30 set of bands. You can throw some handles on there, tie them to a tree, hold them push them get yourself to this place of like a deep fatigue again it's not like a mouth breathing intensity it's just like your muscles are kind of burning and you're getting to like a level of failure and you know you could do deadlifts and squats and just simple exercises as long as you kept those principles in mind yeah you don't need to spend early anyway you could use water bottles and body weight and playgrounds and all kinds of stuff so yeah that's what i tell people you just go and get some milk jugs great you know and just start start doing some bicep curls like three 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 liter just you know it's three kilos it's not a great deal but if you've never lifted weights that's quite a lot for you just start start to start to move basically that's right um how often do you recommend people exercise (laughs) okay so you're asking a personal trainer how frequently somebody should exercise I want you to buy a package of three sessions a week for the rest of your life so I can have really good business. Dude, we uh, we suck at business. Like with the carnivore diet nutrition coaching, like one or two sessions, most of my people are like pretty good and have it sorted out. With strength training exercise, um, we're talking about exercise to a really deep intensity. So pushing a weight really until you can safely like go to that kind of like failure feeling. You might feel anxious or shaky or like you really just can't push a weight much further. That, you know, unfortunately for my bottom line as a business owner, that does not need to be done very frequently. I think if you had 20 minutes a week, you had some strong bands that again, you could pull on and push on. You had some milk jugs and you lifted them until you really couldn't lift them anymore. You could probably take the rest of the week off and be totally fine and build strength. A lot of this, um, I've really changed my mind because of a book called Body by Science by Dr. Doug McGuff and John Little, where they talk about this system of training where really like 15 minutes, five or six different exercises, one set all to failure until you're kind of shaking, you move to the next one, you move to the next one, you move to the next one, and you're done. That could be totally sufficient for somebody. That is what I would call and what he calls like the minimal effective dosage for building strength. And yeah, we've got, you know, the bands and it's great weather here in Salt Lake right now. And um, we also have a community center that's close to us. And I think the front desk people think I'm a lunatic when I check in and 15 minutes later, I'm like, like, oh, like dragging myself out of the building. Um, And it's a great workout. And I do it very infrequently, maybe once every seven to 10 days. It's not a lot that you really need to work out. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, you're also saying that weight training and strength training is maybe more important than that kind of traditional cardio as well. The way I like to explain it is if you, so I'll give you an example. If I were to run down the street right now, it would look terrible. I don't run. I would burn tons of calories because I would be swinging my arms really weird. And like, if I'm running, if you see me running, you should run. Something's up. You know what I mean? Um, But if I kept doing that day after day after day in six months, my form would tighten up. I would be really, really good at running. I have basically created efficiency, which means I'm doing the same activity, but now I'm doing it burning less calories. So efficiency, that sounds really good. And if I'm running marathons and half marathons, I've got such a limited amount of carbohydrates that I can burn. Awesome. You want efficiency. Now, sounds great, but it's really not that great if you are trying to burn lots of calories. And so the strength training, that's where you create inefficiency 
you make the body go through the process of building itself up, the muscles, the bones, the connective tissue, like we talked about. Um, and it just starts chewing through calories. It finds those calories in the form of fat. It finds an excess of them. And so it gets better and better at burning them. You and I on my podcast talked about the obesity code with Jason Fung. So fundamental in my understanding of how this stuff works. And yeah, creating inefficiency will help you burn more calories all the time. So it's like, would you rather be efficient and need to go on long runs to burn the same amount of calories? Or would you rather work out infrequently, create inefficiency, and just burn more calories sitting around being you every single day? Like, no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think most people would like to just not have to go out and do the exercise and, and so on if they could just burn the calories. And this thing is, the reality is most people can yeah. actually do that you can train your body to do that yeah. by creating those inefficiencies and that's where strength training really is is beneficial yeah. um i'm conscious of of time and my voice is kind of disappearing on me slowly and my kids are coughing even more in the background um is there anything else that we haven't covered today casey that you wanted to to talk about uh, no, I think this is a really fun and far reaching conversation, whether somebody wants to be, you know, fully strict carnivore, um, you know, just, just understanding like this is, this is a diet for health. Um, you will eventually probably lose fat. You will as a proxy of that probably lose weight, but it's the only diet I've ever found that like after a very short amount of time, fat loss and weight loss, people that have that as their primary goal, they almost like forget about it and are willing to continue doing it for other reasons other than weight loss. Their brain works better. Their energy is better. They're playing with their kids. Their joints don't hurt. Skin issues go away. They get tan in the sunshine. Like so many wonderful benefits. Um, you know, and sometimes we can be short-sighted with the weight loss and fat loss and realize like, let's optimize our health. Let's find some really simple things that we can do. Let's get more protein in the diet. Let's do some simple strength training that's really safe and it prevents injury and be really effective with that. And I just want people to know it's, it's, it's simple. It might not be easy, but it is simple and they can start today and start to make a difference and really, um, you know, get feeling better. It's, it's a very self kind of correcting diet because people just feel so good. Mm, no, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, how can people find you if they're wanting to hear more about the, the podcasts, of course, that you've got two podcasts, uh, and if they're wanting to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Yeah, of course. So the best place is our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. Um, on that page, they'll find all of our socials. They'll find our main podcast, uh, which is the Boundless Body Radio. We do releases every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and sometimes a bonus on Sunday. Um, so they can find that there on that page. They can find my wife, Bethany, and understand some of her work, which she does. Um, and then, yeah, the second podcast, I kind of let die. It was called the How to Make a Podcast podcast. Um, and it was really fun to make. It was a resource that, you know, I, I know you understand what it's like to start podcasting. And like, you don't know how to do any of this stuff. You're flying the plane as you go. And like, I really wanted like information on it. And I, I couldn't find any in podcast form. So I wanted to create a resource for podcasters out there. Um, and, and I turned it into an interview series where I would interview other podcasters and really learned a lot. That resource is still there. People can find it. I just haven't done an episode in a few months. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, fair enough. It is hard to start a podcast, but um, it's yours obviously going very strong. You're saying about 20,000 downloads a month, which is which is really good. So um, no, great. Well, look, I'll be sure to put all of those uh, links into the description uh, when this episode is out. Uh, thank you very much, Casey, for coming on the show. It's been absolute pleasure talking to you we've been talking now for about two and a half hours all up Fantastic. back to back episodes which is great always great to talk to like-minded people and just learn more 
about diet, about nutrition, about exercise and lifestyle. So it sounds like you've got a very similar approach to me. Uh, I'm sure your clients are, are very lucky to, to have you and Bethany, of course. Uh, thank you very much, Casey. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you everyone for watching uh, and listening on today's episode. Make sure to uh, check in and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks guys, bye. Thank you, for this li- Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are imp- interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeekmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50OFF. That's code 50OFF, 50OFF, O-double-F, for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.